0: Sure, your mics not on mute. I will. Okay, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm delighted to be back with you again. My wife and I always enjoy coming here. You have a great church, and uh, of course, your pastor is one of our absolute favorite people, and his family, his wife, and their family. One of the. Open your Bible, 2 Kings chapter nineteen, if you would please. Um, one of the. One of the things that I love the most about your pastor is the fact that he has such an excellent family. You're very fortunate to have him here. And uh, for a man to come here and stay for 20 years, 17 years I think as pastor, 20 years total, something like that in the church, uh, is just a very, very commendable thing. Amen. Through the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the, the hard times, the good times, the easy times, all, all the rest of it, just to stay faithful to God. And I want to commend you, you as as well uh, for your faithfulness to Christ and for uh, just uh, serving the Lord and being faithful to God and uh, continuing to uh, continue to just go ahead and, and uh, plug away and serve the Lord no matter, no matter what has happened in these last 20 years. I know some of you have been here for many years. Other, others of you are new. Uh, but many of you I recognize. I haven't been here for a number of years myself. It's probably been, Pastor, maybe four years. I'd say four to five years since I was here. And, uh, and I, I, I wanted to come back. But we had been out of the country, and then, of course, uh, not travel was shut down for a period of time there, and so we weren't be able to get back. But as soon as we had an open Sunday, I I called your pastor and begged him to let me come, <laughs> and he uh, he finally he finally said, "Okay, you can come. Just don't mess anything up." <clears throat> I mean, I mean, <laughs> you see the confidence that he has in me. <laughs> as we wa- I shook hands with him and said, "Thank you, Pastor." He said, "You're welcome." Make sure your microphone is not is not muted. <laughs> I've done this a few times before. <laughs> it ain't my first rodeo preacher. <laughs> but I have left it muted a lot of times. So so he knows. he knows. He knows. He's speaking from experience. He says, I know you old guys, man. You're going you're to pull a Biden on me. You're going to be say, pulling out a card saying, uh, we are... <laughs> uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but... Uh, But I am delighted to be here, and uh, what a blessing to be able to be back with you again, to be back with your pastor and his wife and his children. Did your wife leave you?
1: Oh, she's here. Okay,
0: good. (laughs) I kept looking for your wife and thinking, what happened? (laughs) You guys seemed like you were fine last night. (laughs) Uh, Several, um, but... Our ministry is called Barnabas 1040, as Pastor mentioned. I'm not going to talk to you about our ministry today, but I just want to say thank you for your support. Uh, we support national pastors in the 1040 window as, as preacher mentioned uh, after 25 years at liberty baptist church we 6 years ago resigned the church left the church and moved to china and uh, we were not missionaries to china but we moved to china because we have we have a background there we had been we had started the church in hong kong uh, several years ago a church still still going today and uh, we love the chinese people we enjoy we enjoy the food, uh, we enjoy the fellowship, and, uh, of course, we like everything about the country except the, uh, except the government. And, uh, <laughs> but we don't, care, we don't care so much for communism. I, uh, not too long ago, before, just before we came back from China, we were walking down the street one day, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, sweetheart, living in China is like living in the largest prison in the world. There are cameras everywhere. They're always watching you. And there are people that report on you on about everything. And I, so we're walking down the street. I said, "It's like living in the largest prison in the world." She said, "Yeah." And I said, "But at least it's a nice prison. <laughs> There's Starbucks on the corner. They, you know, the the transportation system is good. You don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about riots. I mean, they start riot there, man. You're, you, they the, the secret police get, take you out quickly. And uh, so, but it's it's still a communist country. And I'd rather be dead than red, per, personally." And so that's, that's been my motto for many years, and I, I'll have it till the day that I die. I, I want to live free, or, or die or live free. I mean, it's one, one of the two. But uh, we moved to China, not as missionaries to China, but because from China, we had access to all those other countries that we could get into. As you mentioned, Vietnam uh, last night. And though, and I had got another call last night after I got back to the hotel from Vietnam, and one from Burma as well, one of our one of our, our Best man in Myanmar has uh, had COVID, uh, has COVID, and his wife called and said, "Please pray. Uh, It doesn't look good. I mean, his oxygen level is 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 very bad. Myanmar is in a very dangerous uh, situation right now. We call it Burma. They call it Myanmar, but Burma." Uh, is in a very bad situation right now with COVID, but not only with that, primarily not COVID, but with the fact that they've had a military coup and that the military will shoot on site anybody that's out on the street that they don't want, they don't think should be there. And they're also uh, confiscating the oxygen, which people need to be able to uh, treat themselves at home uh, for COVID. And so, uh, but so a couple of things going on last night after we left you. And uh, this morning uh, as well, this, this man in, in, uh, in uh, Burma uh, survived the night, and he's doing better. And so, uh, praise God for that. But we start, to, we moved over there because within, w- from China, within two or three hours, we could be in all those different Southeast Asian countries and uh, get into the 1040 window Meet these national pastors, meet the missionaries that are there, and find out how we can help them in, in in planting churches. And so, as of today, we have 88 national national pastors we're supporting. We're about to take on another four, that'll bring us up to 92 uh, national pastors that we're supporting who plant churches in their among their own people in their own villages all across 19 different countries now. Uh, across that part of the world, so God has been very good, and we thank God for it. And, and your church was one of the very first that got involved in helping us financially and prayerfully. And so I want to say thank you for your faithfulness and uh, and and uh, partnering with us for that uh, for this ministry. Uh, several weeks ago, <clears throat> probably about three months ago now, I got a call from a uh, pastor in Southern California. And he said, I, I see from your schedule that you're going to be out in Southern California. He said, is there any chance you could preach for me on 4th of July weekend? And I said, yeah, I had that, that Sunday open. And so uh, I was going to be out for the 11th, uh, J- July, uh, July 11th, for the 45th anniversary of the church that we pastored down in, uh, in Southern California, Newport Beach. And so I said, but I have the 4th open. And so um, <clears throat> so he said, well, could you preach for me on the 4th of July and as we began talking, he said, "I said, you want a patriotic message? What what would you like for the Fourth of July?" And uh, as we talked, I could tell that he was very discouraged, and just uh, just just discouraged. And so I developed a message that I call I developed just for that one church called Hope in the midst of a crisis from Second Kings chapter nineteen, trying to kind of blend some some things together. And I preached it that that one church, but. I, I, I'm, I'm letting you know that that I just felt like, like you know I need to preach that in more than just one church and so the message I'm going to preach to you this morning is hope in the midst of a crisis and to be quite frank with you uh, I'm preaching it in a lot of churches these days because I just feel like it's something that perhaps God could use because all of us are in a period where we need a, a time when we need hope. And so, 2 Kings chapter 19 is our, t- is our text this morning. Let me read for you the first four verses. 2 Kings chapter 19. It came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes. He covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah. This day is a day of trouble, of rebuke, and blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be that the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshika, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. Father, I pray you'll meet with us this morning. And God, we thank you again for the great privilege of being able to be back uh, with uh, with this church and with uh, the Hanes. And Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for their love for you, for their dedication. We thank you for what a great family they are and, and uh, for what a wonderful church this is. God, we just ask that you might meet with us today and speak to hearts. And Lord, uh, give us what we need today. May we go away from this place knowing that we have met with thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Difficulties and trials are part of living in a world that is cursed by sin. Now, sometimes our problems, we have problems all the time, but sometimes those problems are elevated to a, pl- to a, to a point which we could, uh, we could truly call them a crisis. A crisis is defined as a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. And the situation that we're going to look at in 2 Kings chapter 19 is a true crisis. The nation of Judah has been <coughs> invaded by the nation of Assyria. King Hezekiah and his people have retreated into the city of Jerusalem. They are surrounded by the Assyrian armies, and humanly speaking, the situation is totally without hope. There's no way in the world, humanly speaking, that they are going to be able to defeat and stand against the the, the armies of Assyria. There's no hope. And yet they found hope in their crisis, and ultimately they're going to live through this siege King Hezekiah, in our text, send messengers, uh, sends messengers to the prophet Isaiah. And what he's saying in verses 1 to 4, as we read a moment ago, he said, we're in, we're in tremendous trouble. <clears throat> We've come, there's no hope for us. Would you please pray? And Hezekiah then sends back a message of hope. Notice, if you would please, verse 5, So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. I'm sorry, Isaiah sends back a message to Hezekiah of hope. Verse 6, Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him. He shall hear a rumor, shall return to his own land. I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now they're in a crisis situation, but they find hope in the midst of that crisis, We've all been in, in problems. We've all been in crisis situations where we needed hope, haven't we? We've all been there. Perhaps this morning, some of you are there today. You're facing some extreme difficulty in your life, and, and, and you need hope. But you, don't, but, but you don't have hope. You need hope in the, by the grace of God. Today, I think we as a nation are facing a crisis. I think America is in a crisis right now. Many people are wondering whether or not there's any hope for our country to even stand. Well, is there any hope? Are we going to be destroyed by the political and the cultural, the moral attacks of the day? But I want to say to you this morning that with God, there's always hope. Our God is the God of hope. He's not the God of the hopelessness. He's the God of hope. In fact, the word hope occurs 130 times in 121 verses in the Bible. Hope. Now, when we use the word hope, we commonly use it um, not like the Bible uses it. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not talking about something like we would say, like, oh, I really hope this happens. It's kind of like, I don't think it's going to happen, but wouldn't it be cool if it did? Um, my wife and I have been married for 49 years. This coming January 29th will be 50 years. We have made it for 50 years because I've learned a few things about, about marriage. How many of you guys would like to be, stay married to your wife for 50 years and you'd like to make it all the way through? Let me give you one of the clues, one of the keys. One of the keys to staying married to your wife for a number of years like this and having her stay and you stay and you, and you both survive is this, you learn to watch HGTV. <clears throat> now, HGTV is, tor- is terrible. It's one of the wor- You know what it is? It's one of the worst things that ever happened on the, on the planet. But your wife likes to watch it and sometimes if you'll watch it with her, it's one of the keys. My wife and I, I'm embarrassed to admit to you, sometimes watch HGTV. As a last resort, because I want to stay married. I want to make it to 50. We're going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to go to Israel for our 50th anniversary, and I don't, I, I want to make it to there. And after that, we'll talk about it, but <laughs> we'll find out about the HGTV. But on HGTV, there's a, there's one of those programs where, where there's this, this guy, he, he helps people buy houses who have won the lottery. A million-dollar houses or something like—I forget what it's called—but but his whole the whole TV program is about this one guy that if you win the lottery and you and you win you know multi millions of dollars, you've got ten million dollars now. All of a sudden, he helps you buy a house, and that's what this program is about. It's a terrible program, but we watch it because we want to stay married. Now, every time we watch that program, here's what I'm doing: I'm watching this this fruitcake guy that's helping people buy houses. You know, who won the lottery. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm even saying to my wife, "How come we never win the lottery?" (laughs) I mean, you look at these guys; they're just normal people, and they win the lottery. I mean, mean, he buys one ticket, and and all of a sudden, he's got ten million dollars, and they're out buying these homes and this. You know, when are we going to win the lottery? Why? Why do we never win the lottery? I hope we win the lottery. And you know what she says to me, "Honey, you're never going to win the lottery." Well, why not? They did. Well, here's why: you've never bought a ticket. You have to buy the ticket if you plan to. Otherwise, you, you can hope all you want. You're not going to get the lottery. And by the way, I'm never going to buy a lottery ticket, so we're never going to be multimillionaires, and we're never going to have be on HGTV. You know, because uh, that's like that kind of hope. Well, oh, I hope this happens. It's not going to happen, but I hope it does. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. When God uses the word hope, He's talking about an assurance that we can they can stand upon. Because our hope in the Bible is anchored to the promises of God. And God is able to do anything. It's His His power, His faithfulness. I believe there's some lessons this morning in this story that will help us today. But here's what I need to do. I'm going to give you a warning to begin with. I need to go back and give you the backstory so you understand what's happening here. And uh, then we'll get to the lessons, okay? So don't get nervous. In about 15, 20 minutes, you're going to say, when is he going to get to the message, you know? Uh, I've got a long introduction, very short, very short message. Okay, but I'm not going to keep you here all afternoon. We won't, we won't go. Uh, we won't go till tomorrow morning or something. So let me give you the backstory. What's happening here in Second Kings 19? The nation of Israel had existed for more than a thousand years without a king. They had no king. They were never designed to have a king. They were designed to be ruled by God. And led by prophets and judges, but God was their king, and the prophets and judges would help them to understand what God wanted them to do. But, they weren't satisfied to be ruled by God alone. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And so, you remember under Samuel, they come to to Samuel, they say, make us, give us a king, we want to be like everybody else. And Samuel's upset about it, says, no, you're not supposed to have a king, God is our king. And they said, we want a king. And so God says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Let them them have their king. And so they have a king. Now, they had three kings as a united nation. They stayed together under these three kings. First one was King Saul. The second king was King David, of course, the great king that we know about. Thirdly was King Solomon, David's son. Now, so they stay united. Israel's one nation under Saul then under David, where they become great. Under Solomon, where they become very uh, very wealthy. And then Solomon dies. So then we come to the next king, his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam was made king over Israel, all of Israel. But here's where, the, here's where they're going to split. Now, Rehoboam <coughs> becomes the king. And everything would have gone okay. They could have had a fourth king and been stayed united. Except what happened was that, that the people, many of the people had become a little discouraged and disgruntled under Solomon. And uh, they, 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 they were upset with the taxes. Uh, they became a very wealthy country, but they, but they were taxed very heavily. Uh, Solomon had, uh, he had a kind of an iron fist that he ruled with. And so they, they, they were upset about this. So these people that were upset in the kingdom... They choose a, a spokesperson, a spokesman by the name of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam comes to Rehoboam, and he says to, he says to Rehoboam, look, we'll follow you, we, you'll, you'll be our king, we'll stay united, but we're going to ask you to do a few things. We want you to ease up a little bit. Would you, um, now I'm not sure exactly all, all the things that they, 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 they requested, but perhaps they said things like, um, would you stop the mask mandate? Would you, uh, would you let the churches reopen? Would you let us kids, our kids, go back to school? Uh, some of things like this. Would you lower the taxes? Would you, would you make it so that we don't pay a dollar fifty per gallon more than anybody else in the country for our for our gas? You know, they they came to Solomon and or they came, I am sorry, they came to Rehoboam and they said, under Jeroboam, they said, well, would, would you, would you, would you ease up a little bit? And Rehoboam very foolishly rejected those requests. And Rehoboam said, no, I won't. So Jeroboam took, takes several tribes out of the kingdom. He forms his own kingdom with a new capital set up in the city of Samaria. So now, as you read through your Bible in the Old Testament, you'll see uh, Israel in the north, and the capital there is Samaria. You see Judah, the kingdom of Judah in the south, and the capital remains at Jerusalem. But that's what happened. So now they're split into two kingdoms. The problem that Jeroboam has is this, though. Jeroboam has now pulled ten tribes out, formed his own kingdom, set up his own capital. But Jeroboam realizes that I've got a problem. Even though most of the people are following me, they're going back to Jerusalem to worship. Because that's where our temple is. That's where we worship God. And so it's just a matter of time, if the people keep going back to Jerusalem to worship God, that eventually... They're going to go back to Rehoboam, and I'm I'm dead. I'm dead meat. I mean, I'm going to be tried for treason, and I'm going to be executed. So, Rehobo- so Jeroboam comes up with a plan. Here's what it is. Let me just read it for you. It's in 1 Kings 12. Jeroboam said in his heart, If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, then shall the heart of the people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah. They shall kill me. Whereupon the king made two calves of gold. He made these two golden calves. Replicas of what they worshipped back in Egypt. And he said unto them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He set The one in Bethel, the other put in Dan, and this thing became a sin to the Israelites. Now, as a result of idolatry this is when idolatry right here begins is introduced into the nation of Israel as a result eventually both kingdoms are going to be taken into captivity both of them are going to fall but judah lasted 136 years longer the southern tribes than israel the northern tribes as a result of the fact that judah had some godly kings and they had not introduced this idolatrous worship into Judah, and as a result of that, these godly kings—not all of them, but some of them—would come. They would come and go, and some of them were men that loved God and kept trying to keep people pulled back to to, to their roots. And as a result, Judah lasts, which is the kingdom we're looking at in, in this in this passage. They're going to last 136 years longer than Israel, than the northern kingdom. Now, may I say to you, that's what America desperately needs today. We need people who are pulling us back to God. We need revival among God's people. It has to start in the church house, not the White House. But it has to also spread to our national leaders as well. We need to return to leadership that recognizes our Christian heritage, seeks to build on, not destroy, that heritage. We need that in America as well. And by the way, there's, there's no reason for us not to, not to have hope that that could happen in America, just like it happened in Judah. And even though Israel fell, Judah did not for another 136 years, as God gave them, gave, gave them opportunity and gave them grace. By the time we come to our text, the people of Israel have been defeated. They've been taken into captivity by the Assyrian nation. Now, that same Assyrian nation is coming for Judah. And God decides to step in. And God says to Judah, I found some righteous people in you. I'm going to spare your nation, I'm going to let you stand for another 136 136 years before judgment is finally going to come to you by the Babylonians. Now, what are some lessons for us? Look, if you would please, at 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 32 to 37. So, Assyria has defeated Israel, now they're coming for Judah. They got the northern kingdom, now they say we're going to get the southern kingdom. But look at verse 32, Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city. Nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. He shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. I will defend this city to save it. I'm telling you, we have no reason not to hope that God would do this for America as well. God doesn't love them more than he loves us. He said, I will defend this city, verse 34. For mine own sake, for my servant David's sake, it shall come to pass that night, and it came to pass that night. Love this passage. The angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Syrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand, a hundred and eighty five thousand men. And those men woke up dead. That's what it says. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were dead. <laughs> These guys woke up and said, Uh oh, we're dead. <laughs> God stepped in. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping the house of Nisroch, his God, that Adrimalek and Sherizah, his son, smote him with the sword. S- Sennacherib goes back and his own son's killing. God stepped in. I'm telling you tonight, this morning, we, do, we have every reason to hope that God would step in for America as well. What are some lessons for us? Number, let me give you three of them very quick. Number one. We need to learn not to take every crisis personally. Don't take every problem and crisis in your life personally. Hezekiah was not the real target. God was the target here. Look, if you would, please, in verse 6. Verse 6 of 2 Kings chapter 19. The Bible says, Isaiah said unto them. Now, now, Hezekiah sends the messengers. Hey, hey, we're in trouble. We have no hope. The Assyrians are here. Would you ask Hezekiah to pray for us? And I ask Isaiah to pray for us, and Isaiah sends the message back and says, "Look, tell Hezekiah, this is not about you. Thus saith the Lord, be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Hezekiah, this is not about you; it's about me. Sennacherib is not—he's not just trying to take you down; he's trying to take me down. Drop down, if you would please, to verse twenty-two. Verse twenty-two says." Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? Against whom hast thou exalted thy voice? Sennacherib thinks it's against against Hezekiah, but Isaiah, but God is saying, no, no, it wasn't Hezekiah at all. Sennacherib, I'm taking this thing personally. You have blasphemed, uh, and and, uh, your voice have been lifted up. Thine eyes on high, even upon the holy one of Israel. Drop down if you would please to verse 28, because thy rage against me, thy tumult is coming to mine ears. Because you have raged against me. What are some lessons for us? Look, when a crisis comes into your life, don't take it personal. Don't blame God. Um, The fact that God allows a crisis does not mean He created a crisis. You see what I'm saying? It's part of living in a fallen world. We live in a world that's sin-cursed. We live in a world where people act contrary to the will of God. Don't blame God. Don't start, I mean, Hezekiah um, could have looked up and said, "God, maybe he did. I don't know." But maybe Hezekiah was looking up and saying, "God, why are you doing this to me? Why did you allow? It? I'm one of the good kings. When I understand why the Assyrians have taken over Israel, they they had all bad kings. But God, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to bring your people back to God. Why is this happening to me? Um, don't 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 blame God when something happens. Jesus warned us that problems would come. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Whenever something happens in our life, we're always looking for somebody to blame. Sometimes we blame ourselves, we blame our children, we blame the pastor, we blame the government. we blame. Sometimes it's just the fact that you live on planet earth. Problems come into your life. The New Testament writers echoed the truth that Jesus said in John 16, 33. 1 Peter 4.12, Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Bad things happen in life. As I said, we automatically, we we just by nature, we want to blame somebody. We want to say, this is this happening, it's not my fault. Why is this happening to me? What? Why did this come up? Look, it's not always because of something you did. It's not always become, because God did something to you. It's called Welcome to planet Earth. We have problems that come into our life. Anybody here remember twenty twenty? Anybody here wish you could forget twenty twenty? Twenty twenty was—I um, don't know how to describe it. It was an interesting. Word. It was the most. Yeah, I'm seventy-one years old. I've never had a, a year like twenty twenty in my life. What a year! In twenty nineteen, my wife and I were living basing our ministry in China. All of a sudden, to no fault of our own, we had to leave China. We were not missionaries to China, but uh, China began to crack down on on, on on any foreign Christians. In fact, the city that we lived in put out a bounty and said that a Chinese person who knows of a foreigner who's teaching the Bible to Chinese people, if you turn him in, you can, you can make, make 10,000 renminbi for turning him in. That's 1,500 U.S. dollars. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So if you happen to know that your neighbor is a foreigner and he's have, having people in his home, which we did regularly. We weren't missionaries in China, but we did that consistently. All of a sudden, all you I mean, it just—it was an extremely difficult time. People were disappearing off the streets, literally. House churches were closed. Everything you heard about 2019, about the crackdown in China, is true. All of a sudden, we have to leave China. Uh, visa issues and different things that went on for us, we had to leave China. So in 2019 we leave China. Our 2020 schedule was packed. At this time in 2019 when we had to leave, our 2020 schedule was totally filled. We had meetings in multiple countries. We had some in Canada. We had some in the United States. We had them. We had them across uh, across Europe. We had them across Asia. We 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 were scheduled. It was going to be a very very busy year. So we come back. March 6th we bought a townhouse in uh, in Florida. Uh, we bought a little townhouse in the Pensacola, Florida area. We planned to be there for a total of 10 days because on March 16th, we, we bought this house on March 6th, this townhouse. On March 16th, we had tickets to go to to the Philippines. I don't know if you were going to go or not for that for that big meeting out there. And so we, we were supposed to fly out to the Philippines, and then from the Philippines, we were supposed to go to China, from there to Hong Kong, from there to uh, to Ukraine, from there to some other countries where we had been teaching and preaching in different places, all of it scheduled. March 6th, we buy this townhome. We plan to be there for a total of 10 days. March 11th, the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic. March 13th, President Trump declared a national emergency. March 16th, my flights were canceled to the Philippines, China, Ukraine. Foreign travel stopped totally for the year. By the way, still still closed. March 19th, California issued a stay-at-home order. All of my meetings in America and Canada began to be canceled as well. March 24th, I turned 70 years old. Bad, bad year. March through September, we were stranded. We couldn't get out of town. September 6th, Gail and I both tested positive for COVID. September 18th, Hurricane Sally hit Pensacola. We had to evacuate our home. We were planning to stay there for for Hurricane Sally. And it so happens that we'd gotten acquainted with the city the city uh, city manager of our city, and she called us on the phone, and she said, "You need to get out of your house because it's coming right towards your place, and you you need to get out of you need to get out of there." So we said, "Okay, we will." We got in the car, we started to leave. Um, you know what we found out? We found out that when you have COVID, you're not allowed to stay in hotels. You're also not allowed to stay in uh, in in, uh, in uh, shelters. So we're told to get out of town, get out of your house. We have nowhere to go because we have COVID. Nobody, nobody would allow us in. September 19th, God still loved us. September 19th, God still loved us. God took care of us. And absolutely none of those things that I mentioned to you had anything to do with us. He was called living in the world so I'm saying to you this morning welcome to life on planet earth stop taking everything personally stop feeling like every problem in your life is something unique to you that nobody else has a problem like this and, and 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 all of a sudden there's no hope why is God doing this why is God allowing he's allowing look it's part of living on planet earth God loves you God never stops loving you. He never stops watching over you. He never stops caring for you. Don't throw up your hands in despair. Never lose hope that God is in control. Number one, stop taking every problem and every crisis personal. Number two, lay your fears and needs before God in prayer. King Sennacherib sends messages to Hezekiah. This message comes by letter. And this letter... That comes to Hezekiah from Sennacherib, sent through his messengers, says, You are dead meat. And this letter says, We've already taken Israel. We've taken the other part of the kingdom, and now we're coming for you, and and you're you're dead. So the best thing you can do is just go ahead and surrender now and cry for cry out for mercy because there's no way that you can stop my armies. Now, verse 14. Look, if you would please, in 2 Kings nineteen fourteen, Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers. He read it. What did he do? He went up into the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah began to pray. Let me ask you a question. When will we do the same? When will we learn to take our problems and take our troubles and take our crises and lay them before the only person who can possibly help us? God loves you, God wants to hear you, He wants you to pray, He is is waiting to hear from us, crying out to God. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord in verse 15, and he said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms, about the earth, Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, please bow down Thine ear and hear. Open Thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib. And and then and then you know what you know what Hezekiah did, said. Hezekiah admits to God, Sennacherib's correct. Sennacherib is saying, "I'm going to destroy you," and he's right. He can destroy his God. I can't. I can't fix this problem. I'm I, I, I'm in trouble. He says in verse seventeen of a truth, Lord. The kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. Everything Hezekiah Sennacherib said in that letter is correct. Sennacherib writes a letter to Hezekiah and he says, Hey, hey, nobody has been able to stand before me. And you're not going to stand before me either. You are dead. And, and Hezekiah says, and he's exactly right. I can't, I can't fix this. But you can, God. God wants to hear from us. There's times when we get in a crisis, we can't fix it. So what do we do? First of all, don't take it personal. Don't don't throw up your hands in despair. Say, no, you know, why is this happening to me? Just just realize that it happens. And there are going to be times in your life when you can't fix it. Lay it before God and cry out to God. Trust Him with it. Don't succumb to fear. To, to fear, don't succumb to it. When Sennacherib sends this letter to God to to, to, to uh, Hezekiah, and Hezekiah brings his prayer before God, I, I, I absolutely my favorite verse. I'm about to read to you in this in this chapter. I love this verse. It may be my favorite verse in the Bible. Probably not though, because that would be bad to have. I mean, John three sixteen or something like that needs to be your favorite verse in the Bible it's not my favorite verse in the Bible, but it's my favorite verse in this chapter. I'm about to read it to you. Hezekiah is saying to God in his prayer, and he says, God, he, he, it's true. It's true.
1: Everything Sennacherib
0: said is true. He has destroyed all those other nations. He has burned their gods in the, in the fire. But they weren't real gods. They were idols. Sennacherib is going get to get a message back to God's going to send a message back to Sennacherib. And I want you you to see what he says in verse 27. Here's God's response to Sennacherib. Sennacherib's saying, I'm coming for you. I'm going to get you. You're going to die. And so God sends this message. He says says to Hezekiah, you send this message. You, you You send a letter back to him. And you tell him this, verse 27. I know thy abode. Hey, Sennacherib. I know where you live. I know what you did last summer. I know what you did last night. I know what you're thinking. Hey, Sennacherib, you can run, but you can't hide. I know where you live, buddy. I know where you shop. I, know. <laughs> I love this. God says to I know. I know where you live. I know you're going out. I know you're coming in. I know everything about you, and buddy, you are dead. Because you're picking on the wrong guy. You picked the wrong fight, man. I know where you live. I know you're going out. I know you're coming in. I know thy rage against me. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult has come up into mine ears. Therefore, I'm going to put my hook in your nose. I'm going to bring you back home, and you're going to die. His two sons killed him. Maybe just my twisted personality. But I love that. I know where you live, Sennacherib. God knows where your enemies live too, and might as well. You don't have to worry about it. We don't have to take care of every crisis, especially those we can't fix anyway. We need to bring them before God. Number one, don't take it personal. Number two, bring it before God in prayer. Number three, Trust your Heavenly Father to settle your crisis as He sees fit. Verse 17. The Bible says in verse 17. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods. But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of His hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. God, would you, would, you, would, you, would you save us, would you help us, and would you do it for your honor and for your glory? That everybody might know that you are the only God that is the real God. Can I say, trust your Heavenly Father. He knows what is the best outcome for every situation in your life. He may or may not solve your crisis the way you think he should, but could I say this to you? However he solves it, it's going to be the right outcome. He knows what's best. It's going to be okay either way. Romans, chat. Listen to these verses. Romans eight eighteen, I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans eight twenty eight, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. For them who are the called according to his purpose. He didn't say everything is good. He said everything works out for good. So that means that even though God may not solve your crisis the way you wanted. He solved it for what was best for you. What was good for you would bring ultimate good in your life. And would bring glory to him. What shall we say then to these things? If God before us who can be against us? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And your crisis may not end like you wanted it to, but God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And all things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to His purpose. So however He decides to work it out, He promised it was for your good and for His glory. Are you facing a crisis? Don't blame God. Pray and trust Him. He knows what's best. But believe that ultimately this trial will work out for your good and His glory. There's There's an old hymn that we sing so often. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We sing that song, but I think for me personally, oftentimes I don't really believe it. I don't really grasp it. But my friend, it's true. This world is not my ultimate home. I'm thankful for this world. I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful for for the life that we live. In fact, my wife and I say something to each other every day. We said it to each other today. We said it yesterday. We'll say it tomorrow. We say something every day. I, I imagine probably, Pastor, you say this to your wife every day. And if you don't, I, I would I would just question why you don't. But every day I say to my wife, or she says to me, Wa Jintin Gaussukwani, Aini, You probably say that to your wife every day. <laughs> Cammy, he says at least the he part, right? <laughs> he says that part. Have I told you today? You can say it in English if you want to. We, we normally say it in Chinese, but English works too. Have I told you today? I love you. And I love our life. And we do. We have crisis? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a real headache sometimes when you're driving down the road and people are telling you, no, you can't come, you can't come into this hotel because you have COVID, but you've got to get out of town. And the water's raising up. <laughs> the water's raising. You're thinking, when where we are going to go? And by the way, we did survive. I, maybe you noticed. <laughs> we survived. And, 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 and God wasn't mad at us. It just happened to be that we live in a, we live in a sin-cursed world. And we have problems like you do, and like everybody else does. We weren't the only ones. Everybody's got problems. But I love our life, and I'm grateful to God for letting me live here. But here's the key. Here's the key. This isn't home. This is not home. One of these days, we're going to be at our real home. And until then, let's just trust God, that even though we're going through a crisis, even going through problems, He knows what's best for us. He's still in control. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forsaken us. This too shall pass by the grace of God. Perhaps you're here today and you're skeptical about God's promises. All those verses I read to you a moment ago, you're thinking, I I can't buy that. I just really don't believe that God, there's a God in heaven. He's in control and and everything's working out for good. I, I don't believe that. Could I say this to you? I understand. I get it. I didn't believe it either for the first 20 years of my life. I I didn't believe that there was a God in heaven that loved me, that cared for me. I dropped out of high school at 17, joined the Army at 18, went to Vietnam at at, at, at 8. I dropped out out of high school at 16, joined the Army at 17, went to Vietnam at 18. I spent two tours in Vietnam with 75th Rangers, came back at 19. And and when I was 20 years old, I didn't believe there was a God who cared. I didn't believe there was a God who loved me. I didn't believe there was a God who had things under control. And then, at the age of 20, at the Landmark Missionary Baptist Church in Watsonville, California, I walked down the aisle and the altar and said, Dear God, if you're there, would you please come into my heart and would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Would you, would you save me? Would you, would you show me that you're real? And by the way, he did. And that night, fifty years ago, my life changed totally. And so if you're here today and you say, I, I I don't I don't really believe that, I would just say this to you. I just ask you one question. Don't you wish you did believe that? Don't you wish you could believe this morning that there is a God in heaven who loves you? That is watching over you, that everything's going to be okay. No matter how it turns out, it's going to be okay. Well, you could believe that. In fact, right where you are this morning, I'm going to bow our heads and close our eyes, and we're going to pray. As we dismiss the service today, if you're here today without Christ, would you simply do what I did 50 years ago at the age of 20? Would you just simply call out and cry out to God in your heart and say, Dear God, I believe that Jesus died for me. Please come into my heart and save me. I need hope give me that hope. And then if you're here as a Christian, maybe you just need to lay it before God and say, God, help me to to have hope in you, to trust you that everything's going to be okay in my crisis. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. If you do not know God personally, that's the first thing you need to get settled. Would you simply pray something like this? Would you help let me help you pray this 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 morning? The prayer will not save you, only Jesus can save you, but the prayer brings you to Jesus. Would you pray something like this, dear God? I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. I need hope. I need to know that you're real. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. For being buried and for rising again the third day. Please come into my heart. Come into my life. Take my life. Take control of it. Help me to know that I'm saved and I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. And then as a child of God, perhaps this morning, many of us just need to say, Lord, it's been a rough time. There's some things going on in my life that I I don't understand. But God, I'm going to trust you with it. Thank you, Father, for... Your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And dear God, I pray that you might help each person in this room today to trust you. Myself included. Help me to trust you, Lord. When things are not going the way that I think they should. Whenever problems come. Sometimes even crisis. Lord, I've been through enough of them now to look back over the years and realize that you were there. You were there. In the shadows, you were there. Father, thank you. Help us to trust you. Help us to just be faithful. And God, I pray that you might return to us the joy of our salvation. We thank you again for your love for us. In Jesus' name.